you have your Bibles and turn with me to John's Gospel and chapter 15. Let's pray before we come to God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth of your Word. I thank you that Jesus is the true vine. Heavenly Father, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to speak well of Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the true manna from heaven. He is food for the hungry. And unless you feast on him, you don't have life in you. And Jesus is the light of the world. He's that pillar of fire in the darkness. He is the only salvation in a dark world. And unless you believe that he is the coming again Messiah, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the gate for the sheep. He is the Passover door, the entryway into the fold. Unless you come in by Jesus, you are a thief and a robber. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his flock. We heard that wonderfully this morning. He calls them by name. And unless he is your shepherd, you will not be safe from the wolves. You will not lie down in green pastures. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him shall never die. And he said, do you believe that? Unless you belong to him, you will not live forever in the age to come. He is the way, the truth and the life. He is the Messiah, God in the flesh. There is no other. Unless you know the Son and honour the Son, you do not know the Father or honour the Father. And he is the true vine. He is the one in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. Unless you abide in him, you'll be gathered by, like dead branches and thrown into the fire. This is, these are the seven I am statements in which Jesus could not make his messianic claims any clearer. And in each one, he not only states who he is, but he holds a promise out for all who would believe in him. And there is a warning for those who would reject him. This afternoon, we come to the seventh of the I Am statements in John's Gospel. So follow along with me if you have your Bibles. John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. We've seen through the study of John's Gospel that Jesus is the embodiment of different aspects and symbols of Israel's history. He is the bread of life, you know, he's the manna that God gave Israel in the wilderness. He is the light of the world, that pillar of light that led the Israelites at night, the gate for the sheep, the pillar on the door of the doorpost, stained with the lamb's blood at the Passover, which meant salvation for all the Israelites. So we've seen that Jesus fulfills certain symbols in Israel's history. But now, in the final I am statement, Jesus claims not just to be the embodiment of a part of Israel's history, but to be the embodiment of Israel itself. See, many times in the Old Testament, God's people are likened to a vine or a vineyard. Hosea 10, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false, now they must bear their guilt. Jeremiah 2, 21, Yet I planted you a choice vine, wholly of pure, pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate to become a wild vine? Isaiah 5, 1, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. There are two themes in these Old Testament verses. One is that Israel in each instant is the Lord's vineyard. Hosea, Hosea, Jeremiah, Isaiah, speaking about the people of God. And the second one, did you notice that the Lord's vine had become wild? 
He was bearing bad fruit. And this is a theme in some of Jesus' parables, that a master will plant a vineyard and he goes away. And while he's away, the tenants kill the master's servant. They kill the master's son. So he returns and the tenants are punished. That vineyard, like Matthew 20, the labourers in the vineyard, is surely an illustration for God's people. And incidentally, that passage of the parable of the labourers in the vineyard, when come, one comes at six and nine and noon and finally at five o'clock, Jesus says that they each get a denarius whenever they came. The main point was to explain that the Gentiles who are coming now into the kingdom at the eleventh hour received the same inheritance and the same blessings as the Jews who had endured the heat of the day. The vineyard is a reference to God's people. Some had been there a long time. Some had just arrived, but in Christ received the same denarius. It's, sometimes it, it, this, it, this speaks to the scandal of the gospel, doesn't it? This speaks to the scandal of the gospel. I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who used to like to tell the story of, of someone in the town, the town in Wales of, of a local drunk who used to rail against God's people as they left church every Sunday. He used to rail against them. And one day, one, you know, one, one week when he was 77 years old, he came to Christ. But he died shortly afterwards. And Martin Lloyd-Jones spoke about the beautiful truth of the gospel that he would be dancing in heaven along with the people of God. Jesus often tells stories about a vineyard, the vine in the Old Testament, and in Jesus' parables, sometimes function as a symbol for Israel. And often God is angry at his vineyard. But here is Jesus, and he does not just pronounce a judgment on the vine or threaten to uproot the vine. No, he states in no uncertain terms that he is the vine. He is the embodiment of Israel, vineyard, vineyard, vine. And they're thinking, that is us. And Jesus says, I am the vine. So to be a part of God's vineyard is not what it was before, an ethnic heritage, but it is to chiefly and solely belong to Jesus. That's the point of Romans 9 and Romans 2, where Paul says a man is not a Jew only outwardly, a true Jew is one inwardly, the circumcision of the heart. To be a real child of Abraham is not who your father was or your grandfather was. No matter who your family was, you can now be part of the family of God. Isn't that good news? Jesus is saying something really monumental in John 15. From now on, the decisive characteristic for membership of God's people is to abide in Jesus. Jesus, if you, if you like, almost seemed to cut them from the vine because they thought they were the vine. And in the next breath, he gives them an opportunity for all to be grafted in. If you want to be a part of 
the vineyard. It's not something you inherit. No, you must abide in him. That's why in Galatians 6.16, the church is called the Israel of God. Because those who belong to Christ are the new vineyard, because he is the true vine. God planted Israel and turned on Israel in judgment. Psalm 80, turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine. The stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Israel had been planted by God. His life would come to Israel to all who attached to Israel. But Israel was unfaithful. That's what the Old Testament lays out for us. The disciples, like the other Jews, thought, I am Jewish, so I'm connected to God. And our Lord comes along and says, if you want to be connected to God, you have to be connected to me. I am the true vine. I am the perfect vine. It was a messianic prophecy that God was to uproot his vine. It had become a wild vine. It had rejected their maker. But the Son of Man would come and re-establish the vine, revive the people, restore the vine that God planted. That is what Jesus did. To, we should remember that to be part of God's family is much more than just going to church or having church clothes or memorising Bible verses or having the right beliefs about marriage or the Trinity. My friend, to be part of God's chosen people, you must belong to Jesus. And Jesus would say a warning to you. You're a vine on one condition, that you abide in me. What does that mean? Some translations say remain. It's the central word in this text. Again, what, what we heard this morning, the word that stands out is to abide, to remain. It's the Greek word meno, which means remain or abide. Well, what does it mean? What does that mean? To abide certainly means to believe, because that's the aim of John's Gospel. It isn't less than believing, but it is more than that. To abide is covenantal language. The promise of the Abrahamic covenant which find its fullest expression I will be a God to you and you will be my people when God came to Abraham we've seen that in our study in Genesis he said I'll give you a son I'll give you a land I'll be a God to you and to your children after you I will be a God to you and you will be my people God's promise was a promise of abiding to abide with Jesus means that he is present with you. You share with him thoughts, affections, intentions, desires. Abide is spiritual language of the Bible. Would anyone say that about you? That you abide, that, that you're that abiding, that you're into Jesus. 
I've already said, you know, that illustration from Gareth this morning about in Christ. In Christ. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Not remaining in him, not having fellowship with him, not belonging to, believing in him, is a bad thing. Look what happens in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. You cannot do anything of real, eternal, lasting significance unless you abide in Jesus. I think one of the challenges of the last 16 months is you know, our own devotion to Jesus. Do you abide in Jesus at home? Do you have an abiding love for Jesus? You pray to him. You read about him. If the branches are not connected to the vine, drawing nourishment from the vine, they're going to be barren. No one will be able to pick your fruit, eat it, grow in the Lord, come to know the Lord, be satisfied in God. You may even come to church, but if there is no life-giving, soul-satisfying sweet tasting abiding in Jesus you'll be a bump on a log and bumps on a log are the kind of dead branches that get lopped off every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit he proves that it may bear more fruit if anyone does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. We pause because this sounds like Jesus. Can I lose my salvation? It's a question that bothered me as a child greatly. Can I become unjustified? Can I be one of your chosen people? And if I don't do enough good things, I become unchosen. That doesn't fit with what Jesus says in the rest of the Bible. That when you come to him, you will never be cast out. Whoever believes in him already has eternal life. But he does mean to say that you can have some relationship to the vine and still be cut off because that is covenantal language too. When God made a covenant, it would say in Hebrew, he would cut a covenant. He would cut a covenant because some of the covenantal imagery involved literally cutting animals. What was the covenant sign of the Old Testament? Well, it was circumcision. The cutting away the foreskin of the male flesh, which was a sign of God cutting away the hardness of your heart. But it was in reverse a sign of potential judgment. That you'll be cut off if you prove not to be one who remains in the covenant. Jesus is not saying that if you truly belong to him, you will ever be cast aside. The chain will not be broken. Jesus will never lose any the Father has given him. The Bible does not teach that. And in John's Gospel, Jesus is very explicit. But this is not talking about believers, fruit-bearing branches that all of a sudden are cut off and thrown into hell. This is talking about people who are attached, but there is no life because there is 
no fruit. He is not saying you can lose your salvation. He is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. The branches that bear fruit are the true disciples. The branch that bears no fruit is a false disciple. And that's a warning we need to hear. We must remain. We must abide in Jesus. I just want to give you a few ways that we can do that to remain in Jesus. So firstly, if you are to remain in Jesus, you must remain in his love. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I think that means in part, abiding in Jesus means we remember how much he loves us. You see the connection? Father has loved me, I love you, abide in my love. How do you do the abiding? Well, part of it is that you're cognizant of his love for you. You'll never stick with Jesus in the midst of suffering, disappointment or just boredom. That is part of life unless you know how deeply Christ loves you. That language we often know, greater love has no one than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. You know the Bible doesn't talk about God as our friend. He is king, husband, father, sovereign. He is not called a friend, but we are called his friends. Abraham and Moses were called friends of God, but they didn't address God as friend. Those who belong to Jesus are his friends. Tim Keller said that we are friends with Jesus because he lets us in. I don't know whether you've seen the clip recently of Alistair Begg's preaching. It just moved me greatly. It moved, it moved me to tears. It was about the, um, the thief on the cross. And, the, you know, and Alistair, Alistair Begg was talking about what, what the thief on the cross would say when he got to heaven. And you know, he, he was imagining someone questioning him, you know, well, what do you believe about the doctrine of justification? He said, I have no idea. What do you believe about this? What do you, I have no idea. So why are you here? The man on the middle cross said, I could come. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. And we are friends with Jesus because he lets us in. If you haven't seen that, do try and look for it. Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross. It'll move you greatly. We're no longer servants. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. You're not a servant. You're not a hired hand. You're a friend. And friends let each other in. And I think maybe that is why God is not called our friend. Because we don't let him in. He knows everything anyway. But there are a few occasions. Moses, Abraham, friend of God. And here explicitly we are said to be Jesus' friends. Think of a friend. What is a friend? A friend is someone who walks with you through hard times. Your spouse. I can honestly say that my wife has walked me through the hardest of times. Or the mentor, or a friend. And how much we trust Jesus. He never lets us down. Never. 
How much more do we trust Jesus who never does us wrong? And even when we go through seasons of life and we feel, I don't understand at all what God is doing. This makes no sense to me. I don't know what God has been doing the last 15 months. Some things that people say about me are really hurtful. I can't understand why would God allow me to go through this. But cling on to this. That the Father, as the Father has loved the Son, so the Son loves you. Jesus loves you. And he laid down his life for you. And you're his friend. And because of his grace in you, because of his work in you, because he died for your sin, he loves you. He likes you. Doesn't that help you abide? I stay with Jesus because he is never going to leave me. I abide in him when I know how much he loves me as his friend. And secondly, if you're to remain, abide in Jesus, his words must abide in you. It's amazing, Jesus almost equates himself abiding in us with his words abiding in us. History and his revelation are virtually interchangeable. He is literally incarnate revelation. So never fall into the trap. I don't know whether you've ever come across someone who says this to you. You know, I'm just into Jesus. I'm into the word, capital W. And you Bible-believing Christians, you have your little word, little w. I don't worship the Bible, I worship Jesus. I don't need to go to church, I love Jesus. Never separate the word of Scripture from the word incarnate. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. And I think, as Paul Mallard said last week, it is the most precious thing you can ever hold in your hand. It's the word of God. Never separate the word in scripture from the word incarnate because Jesus did not do that. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is a practical way we abide in Jesus. If you want to drink deeply, intimately, frequently of Jesus, you must drink frequently, intimately from the Word. I sometimes wonder how people think that they're going to hear from Jesus if they never open his Word. If you're serious about abiding in Jesus, you must be serious about his word. Every day, his word abiding in you. That's how Jesus will abide in you when you put your word, in his word, into your heart. So drink deeply, often from the Bible and Jesus will abide in you. Now, you can do that, and I know this, and still not feel close to Jesus. But it's amazing how many times People have said to me, I feel so far away from Jesus. And if you ask, are you abiding in his word? Do you take every opportunity to be under his word? One of the things that grieves me greatly is 
the lack of seriousness people have with gathering together. That's why we, we, we will faithfully put on two services a day because it's important on the Lord's day to be in the Word. And I found the most spiritually immature, the worldliest, are those who are bored of his word. As you, you, know, as you stop that, Jesus feels even further and further away. Press through the times when it seems nothing is happening and drink deeply of his word. And when you're thirsty, you probably already are dehydrated. I have, you know, it's, I think it's a great tip, again, comes from our family, that you need to drink before you get thirsty. You need to drink in the morning, drink water in the morning. You need to be drink when you do not know you're thirsty. And the same is with God's word. You need to drink when you do not feel thirsty. So when the time comes, you have his word abiding in you. And thirdly, if you're to remain, abide in Jesus, you must keep his commandments. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Verse 17, these things I command you, that you one love one another. We shouldn't expect to experience God fully apart from cheerful obedience to his commandments. John 14, verse 23, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. If anyone loves me, he will do what? Or will he, will he sing worship music in the car, which is great, of course. If anyone loves me, will he always have a warm, tingly feeling in his bones? If anyone loves me, they will always have a mountaintop experience. No, if anyone loves me, he will keep my you see the connection? You abide in Jesus by obeying his words. Abiding is not quiet, it's passive. Wait until Jesus makes me feel all fuzzy again. It's spiritual, but it's concrete. You know his love, you imbibe his words, you keep his commandments. And what happens when you abide? You bear fruit. You're helpful to others. You display the characteristics of the Spirit. People take from your life something that tastes of love, joy, peace, patience. Being around you just tastes like kindness. Something about you smells like self-control. If people are around you, do they taste kindness? Do they smell self-control? The fruit of the Spirit. You bear fruit. Or if people are around you, there's anger, unforgiveness. You know, all the, you know, no. Do they smell and taste kindness, sweetness? Matthew 7, Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. And that's repeated a number of times in the Gospels. Paul's in Rome, Paul in Romans 6 says, you were slaves to sin, but now in Christ you're slaves to righteousness. We are known by our fruit. We are known by the manifest evidence of transformation. The only way that you can tell a person is a Christian, not by remembering an event, not by remembering a prayer, not by wishing and hoping. The way you know someone has been transformed, regenerated, 
and born again is because the fruit of righteousness is manifest in their life. It isn't perfection, but it is a dominating direction. What is the dominating direction of your life? See, there are people who are attached to Christ and are fruitless. And look what happens when you bear fruit. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. I think that is the most good news I, I think we can hear because if you feel like you're being pruned this summer, if you feel like you're being pruned, if you feel that this is a season where God is cutting things away, that God is trimming things down, He's removing weeds. Good news. He does that because he loves you. He does that because you're bearing fruit. If there was nothing, if you were not a real branch, if you weren't connected to the vine, if you had no fruit, he just gathers you up and burns you, he says. But if, you, if it's when you bear fruit, you have that loving and painful experience of being pruned. Are you being pruned this afternoon? Is God doing things in your life that is pruning you? It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you and he wants you to bear fruit. And what does it mean when you have to prune that there is life? Winter's over. Spring is here. Things are growing. And when you have that experience to prune, it is good. He disciplines us for our good so we might share his holiness. And I want to add something here. The vine dresser has a knife. And what precisely is that knife? Verse 3 tells us, Already you are clean because of the word that I had spoken to you. You're already saved. You are saved through the word. Faith comes from hearing the word. You are saved by believing the word. It was the word that did its work in you. Begotten again by the word of truth, scripture says. And you will be pruned by the word too. And in the final analysis, it isn't the afflictions that are the knife. It is the word of God that is the knife, the vine dresser's knife. Well, let me explain it very quickly. It is not the affliction, it is the word of God that is the knife. Now we should understand the word of God is a knife. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts every direction, the word does, the truth of God. So the Father is the discipliner. The Father who in his providence brings about the trials, the troubles that cause us concern. And the word becomes the cutting instrument. Because when the trial comes and we react wrongly, the word convicts us. It is the word that cuts into our hostility. It is the word that cuts into our anger. It is the word that cuts into our questioning. Trials are the handle of the knife, but the blade is the word of God. The father brings the trial, but the blade is the word of God. Last thing, and we're done. When you abide... You bear fruit, you are pruned, and you have joy. 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So this whole 
process of abiding, remaining, growing, pruning, isn't that you may would have pain, but that you would have joy. And you need to know this. How do you endure the pruning? How do you get up and read the Bible one more day? How do you keep loving your neighbour? How do you do the hard work of obedience? How do you turn off the temptations when they give you pleasure in the moment? You do it because you're confident that God is for you and wants your joy. He wants you to have life in the vine. He wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to be beautiful with flowers. And he wants you to have joy. If Jesus is the bread of life, if he is the light of the world, if he is the gate, if he is the good shepherd, if he's the resurrection, if he's the way, the truth, the life, the vine, then even though we do not see him, we can, as Peter said, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This afternoon, I said, I want to ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus is the path to real joy? You can say, well, I believe he died on the cross. I believe he is the son of God. But do you believe he is the path for real, lasting joy? Because if that is true, then that is going to determine how we live, what we read, how we obey, how we persevere. Because on the other side of this is joy. Brothers and sisters, my dear friend, the true vine is not calling you to a famine, to a dry and dusty land. He's inviting you this afternoon to a feast. May God bless the word for his glory and for our good. Amen.